BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Diversity Remix, only provocative conversations at the intersection of business, politics, and culture. I'm Charlie Echeverry. And I'm Jesus Chavez. This week's episode, Courage or Cringe, featuring Lucy Flores. Today, we're joined by Latina media entrepreneur, lawyer, and former Nevada State Representative Lucy Flores. We'll look at the Missouri governor's pardoning of a St. Louis gun-wielding couple, New York City's compelled vaccination news, and the Tokyo Olympics gender drama. Does the pardon issued by the governor of Missouri protect the rights of its citizens to defend themselves? Or does it misuse his gubernatorial power to score political points while pushing an anti-protest narrative? Is New York City taking a bold step to protect its citizens by compelling vaccinations in order to patronize gyms and restaurants? Or is the mayor violating the rights of his citizens to control their own bodies? And finally, is an ex-athlete standing up for the rights of all women by questioning the gender of a female medalist? Or is his commentary an attack on a black female athlete just for being gifted and dominating her sport? This, and a whole lot more, this week on TDR. You were in Mexico, Lucy? Yes, for Tell seven me about months. That. What part of Mexico? Playa del Carmen. Playa del Carmen. It's just, just in between Cancun and Tulum. Oh, yeah, sure. I know. Yeah. Lots of people go there. Yes. What are you doing there? Quite the destination. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know my dad passed in October. I did not. Right? I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. So it was um, It's kind of like an eat, pray, love thing. Mm-hmm. You know? I just needed a get away. And Reminds me of a good book. Figure life out. Similar book called Eat Fast Feast. New York Times bestseller, by mm-hmm. the way, which is all about the connection of like fasting with spirituality and physical health, but similar concept, right? As uh, eat, pray, eat, pray, love. Yeah, mm-hmm. eat, pray, love. Yeah, that which was, is also a movie. Turns into a movie. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah, yeah, Julia yeah. Roberts. I don't even know. I've never even seen it. I just know the concept. If I know that issue a movie with Julia Roberts. It sounds like it would be. And everybody but I, right? understands when I say it, so right, I don't know. It's, right. it's such a cultural reference that you don't it have is. to really explain it. I'm oh. pretty sure it's so, right. So, did um, you have like long kind of uh, beach walks and kind of pensive moments? Not really. And all that? No, I I did a lot more. I did. I needed. Did not realize I needed a lot of more deeper. Hmm work. Yeah. I uh, started therapy. Okay. Um, I ended up doing Reiki, energy mm-hmm. healing. Sure, I know of it. Um, and lots of introspective thinking and yeah. really trying to figure out what my purpose was in life because I didn't realize that that's what that purpose was. That the eternal time. questions. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'm a, so, big, I'm, a, I'm a fan of therapy. My wife went through about seven years of it, given her background. And it can be a great way to kind of unlock, um, you know, big obstacles to kind of help you think of how you think, which mm-hmm. I think I think is something we don't think about often, mm-hmm. like how you, you know, there's all kinds of therapy, right? Cognitive behavioral right. and all this other stuff. But generally speaking, it's the idea of like hearing yourself say something 
And then having somebody call you and say, like, you right. just use this. Like, why would you why do that? that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right? it's more about the why as opposed to the doing and mm-hmm. figuring out where that comes from and why. Sure. You know, the ultimate yeah. question. Yeah. Um, did you know that you were going to be there for seven months? I did not, no. I, I thought I'd be there for maybe two months, max, three. One was to get away. Los Angeles at the time was facing another shutdown. And mm-hmm. in my state of mind and my mental health and emotional health and everything, I just was like, I cannot do yeah. this again. Right. And there were two countries who were allowing Americans in, Turkey and Mexico. So, of course, I chose One's Mexico. A little closer. <laughs> a little closer. Although Turkey is a bucket list for me. Turkey is yeah. a bucket oh, list. Oh, yeah. No, Istanbul. for sure. Right. I absolutely have right never now, been right? to Turkey fire? and I want to go. Turkey? Yes. yes. Very right, devastating like, fires yeah, in devastating Turkey fires, and in yeah. Greece. Yeah. And in Greece, yeah. But I, uh, you know, it was also kind of a calling to reconnect yeah. with my roots, yeah. you know, with my dad's Mexican roots, my yeah. roots. And I just booked a one-way ticket and said, I'm out of here. Booked a Packed my bags way. and that's it. It's like it's, it's like the opening of a '90s rom com that you just did. It's <laughs> Except like, I came I mean, back with no romance. Okay, okay. <laughs> All right. well, I'm still working on that yeah. love piece. Right. That happens. But, <laughs> I came back with lots of romance for myself. Of course, which was the point. Does your is your uh, mom's side of the family Mexican as well? Uh, yes, okay. but my mom left my family when I was nine, so I've never been really connected to that oh, okay. family. Yeah, okay. so it was really all my dad. Like, my dad right. was the center of the universe, and uh-huh. that was gone, and I didn't know what to do. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So, uh, no, I, I, you know, two months turned into three, turned into four, turned into seven, and I decided to come back for a number of different reasons. One, because vaccines were now becoming readily available, things were opening back up, but more importantly, because I just felt like my journey was done like I was ready you know and my business needed me to be here as well Loose Collective yeah um but I uh I just felt ready yeah you know and it felt very much like a rebirth like for Loose Collective for me for everything it just felt like we need that like a phoenix we completely completely take for granted the importance of getting away and having retreats and all that stuff is just really healthy to do we've actually talked about this right As as a device for transformation is the whole idea of exploration what it does for you and, and, you know, we talk, we talk about in the context of physical exploration and even digital, right? Like when you literally get out of, you know, those, those silos that we tend to kind of be in. And it does wonders in terms of opening up your mind right, to other, and just like other your, ways your, of thinking. Your day-to-day and, and, and what defines that day-to-day. We were just talking prior to this about 2020. I don't even know the year anymore. Yeah. Right. Feeling leap year. like a leap year. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it just didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, but also in that we, I tell people all the time that we don't talk about the positive things of this pandemic enough, but, and I always make sure to frame it that it, obviously it's been devastating and there's been so much death and misery and terrible things, but it also gave us an opportunity, so many people, to hit the pause button, and we'd never been able to do that before, yeah. ever. 100%. And to reconsider what is life, what is our purpose, what is business? Amen. How, you know, how, do we, how can we recreate these things now that we have mm-hmm. this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity? I like that we're opening the show with a very dangerous thought right from the get-go, which is this idea that somehow there could have been a good coming out of this pandemic. Because I've thought that for a long time. And of course, it's obviously right to preface it and frame it and say, of look, course. we all know that there's been devastation. But at the same time, I've seen a tremendous amount of good come out of this for a lot of the same reasons you just described. It's like people taking a minute and going like, wait a minute, if I hadn't have done this, I would have literally just had 11 months of an interrupted work or 11 right. months of 
uninterrupted drama with some situation that they were in or whatever, but this really did kind of do a hard stop to that. It's just amazing Absolutely. what happens when you're kind of forced to pause and, and then have to think. And I think that could be a really scary thing for people. You well, know, even and it's it, like it's facing your own thoughts is scary. Well, and we tend to default to the path of least resistance and we mm-hmm. tend to default to the way things have always been and the way that we sure. do things. Why would we change? You know, don't fix what's not broken situation. Right. But even, for example, when it comes to work and how many folks are still work from home and how many um, companies have now gone work from home permanent. I always had work from home flexible at Loose Collective. We mm-hmm. went work from home permanent, and I never thought – I was one of those people that said, no, you have to have – you absolutely must have office days. Mm-hmm. And we went. I went from that to saying, oh, huh, I guess I can figure this out in a way where we never, ever have to be in an office. We do still have to get together. Sure. And there's th- that aspect is missing. But, but you know, it just it, – we were forced to reconsider sure, what to we scru- thought was not possible. to scrutinize those kind of, you know, thoughts because I had the same thing. I think like – it's like it's not really work unless you actually go to some place right. at least a few times, right? But it does, in the absence of the reason or having to do it, it does make you stress test some of those assumptions. And in that case, what I found, I don't know if you found the same thing, but is like there's certain kind of things that work better and other kinds of meetings and other kinds of di- functions can be done perfectly fine. Correct. You know, remotely. In fact, frankly, better in some cases. Right. Um, but yeah, 100% agree you, you with know, that. Lucy, maybe for those who may not know what Loose Collective is, I think it would be great to get a little bit of an overview of what the company is that you founded and you run. But also to that context, you know, I'd love to hear how did 2020 change your view of what Luke's Collective should be going forward? So obviously when you're starting a company, you go through a lot of iterations, a lot of different paths that you take, some out of necessity, some out of strategy. But being in such a unique year to launch a company, we'd love to hear you kind of describe it and talk a little bit about that. So it's really funny that you mentioned that, not about talking to Luke's because, of course, we're going to do that. But, you know, this whole, like, what what was the what was the – the positives and the cons of having a startup during sure. during this pandemic, this unprecedented pandemic. And I just recently participated in a research study because, you know, there's so so little research as it relates specifically to Latinas. And I will tell you what Loose Collective is here in a second. But it was really interesting because there was this really devastating report that, that confirmed everything we know about how disproportionate the effects, the negative effects of the pandemic was on Latinas. Mm-hmm. And I was one of the few, if not one of the only folks who actually said, you know, the pandemic actually ended up being pretty good for my company. Mm-hmm. And and I had to square all of the terrible things that were happening to so many with the right. fact that my company was actually doing better yeah. than maybe it could have been. I don't know. We'll never know, right? But Loose Collective is a digital media brand for Latinas by Latinas. We create original content that centers Latina stories. Our, we are a mission-driven organization. Mm-hmm. We seek to disrupt and dismantle false and inaccurate stereotypes, media stereotypes about what it means to be a U.S.-based Latina. Mm-hmm. Um, we do talk to second-gen and beyond Latinas, so English-dominant. 
it, you know, not not our parents, not, you know, but people like me who are yeah. first generation Americans and who pre- predominantly speak English. But yes, oftentimes we also speak Spanish. That doesn't mean we consume our content in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, and our that's our product is the content that we create on the B2B side. Um, we essentially serve as a creative marketing agency and we create marketing campaigns with partners. Sometimes we co-distribute on loose collective properties. Sometimes we don't, but that's it. Um, And the media landscape for Latino content, as you all know, is almost non-existent in proportion to our population. And when it comes to Latinas, it is, I mean, it might as well not even be a blip on the radar. We almost don't exist. Mm -hmm. Lucy, I want to ask you about this because this is a, you know, something Jesus and I talk about often is the idea that, you know, you're, you're a very progressive person. Would you define yourself as progressive? Yes. Certainly left of center, that kind of thing. And we've always joked about, you know, our relationship because (laughs) obviously I'm not, but we have, we have very nice chats anyway. But one of the things that Jesus and I talk about all the time is this idea that when you think about the media, the media is not something that I think, especially not in LA, you can define as a right of center reality. I think media companies, and frankly, increasingly business is much more progressively oriented, but certainly media has been for a long time. So with that as the backdrop, why do you think it is that it's true these narratives don't exist as much as they should, great deal of misunderstanding, stereotypes still persist? Why, if the people who are in charge of those are ideologically or politically maybe allies to what you envision the world should be? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, Of course. Well, well, how, how do you square that? What's your thought? Because, the, because media is still dominated by white people. Hmm. And it doesn't matter what political affiliation you have or what what spectrum of your political thoughts are. At the end of the day, if you are not open to sharing that space with people that you're not usually accustomed to working with, those narratives are never going to come in. It doesn't matter how liberal you are or not. Um, In fact, on one of your previous podcasts you talked about, I think, uh, Jesus, you mentioned the the book that just came out, uh, um, the, I can't, I can't the, remember the title. The author of White Fragility, that's what you're yes, referring to? Yes, yes. Uh, Robin D'Angelo. A white um, progressives being... What's the book called? The, right uh, it's, yeah. I know, it's like completely blank. Yeah, but yeah, but Robin D'Angelo's new book, uh, yeah, latest Rob, book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. her latest book. I'll, yeah. I'll, th- I'll look at it in a second. Right. Um, where uh, white progressives are actually one of the greatest threats to yeah. pro- progress. Yeah, that was one of her basically... Uh, nice racism. Right, to just, nice, nice, racism. Racism. nice racism. There yeah, you go. Yeah. Um, that That is the same concept is what is what what protects status quo mm-hmm. as it relates to media mm-hmm. and and white people are more than happy mm-hmm. to continue casting latinas as maids and latinos as gangsters and and black people as drug dealers mm-hmm. and you know and prisoners I, all these stereotypes that we're used to seeing right. um and not paying creatives not bringing in creatives to actually produce content that is going to be authentically and culturally relevant to these audiences so it's the same obstacles and mm-hmm. it does come from unconscious and conscious biases and racism and i th- and i think so here we find ourselves to be strangely strangely allied because i agree with what you just said and i think the 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 thing that drives that to me though is a lack of wanting 
you know, to actually interact and engage with other people and deal with them on a level playing field as human beings. I think that no matter what you think your politics are, who you vote for, if you don't roll up your sleeves and want to engage with other people, cultures, you're not going – you're going to be limited by the same dynamic you just described, which is I'm voting maybe the right way as you see it, Right. But nevertheless, the outcome is going to still be I'm still going to have this kind of casting, this kind of perspective, this kind of uh, view of the world because I'm not engaging with other groups, with other people. I'm not walking a mile in their shoes. I'm not going into those neighborhoods. I'm perfectly happy that my, that my school is 98 percent white, like even among people who ostensibly should feel otherwise, right? Right. It's, it's because they don't want to like – they're not interested. At least that's how I see it. Maybe it's a very L.A. thing, but that's – my view. No, that's exactly right. And going back to part of Jesus's original question in terms of loose and, mm-hmm. and how much we flourished during the pandemic is because, you know, initially we were on a trajectory to grow as, I, I guess, what a, a normal growth pattern would be for a digital media company, right? You're creating content for various partners, which include brand partners. And we work a lot with advocacy organizations, um, you know, like uh, Naleo, the National Association of Latino Elected Officials, you know, like... Mm-hmm organizations mm-hmm. with missions and purposes. And um, when when the pandemic hit, it really forced us to pivot. Everybody froze their, their budgets and no one knew what we were doing. So first, I was one of the very few Latino businesses that actually got a PPP loan. Um, because again, my immediate shift was, holy cow, I got to keep this place running. Sure. How do I, how do I keep know, the where, right, right. How do we keep the lights on? Right. That got us through that initial basically like three-month freeze. And and then we were able to pivot because the pandemic was doing so much damage to communities of color and because these organizations needed the expertise sure. to talk and communicate with these. That set Loose Collective up very nicely because, again, there's such a, a – a massive black hole as it relates to um, creators and talent who actually knows how to communicate with these with these audiences that I was able to very nicely position ourselves as experts and saying we know how to talk to these communities and you mm-hmm. know ended up growing like this this enormous in, in a really unsustainable way to be honest <laughs> perfect um, <laughs> it's like a startup yeah exactly. even the, no. but even the idea of what you but, just said though lucy expectations like you know beyond expectations it really depends on what the expectations are depending on the makeup of the company right because you can have uh, investors can have crazy expectations for what normal should be at right. a given at a given time right so it does vary depending on who is who has the expectation of what that kind of growth could be? Right. No. Exactly. So you know, as far as the the pandemic is concerned, um, you know, it, it was definitely interesting times. We were able to pivot um, very quickly. We were able to. I tell people that digital media wasn't. We were very lucky in that we weren't necessarily in a COVID proof industry, Mm -hmm. but we were in a very COVID-resistant industry. Mm. Everyone ended up recognizing that they needed to shift to digital immediately, right? Right. Like we spent so many years telling people, digital is the future, digital is the future. You have to, you know, you have to invest in this. This is where it's going. And all of a sudden people were like, oh, okay. We don't know how to talk to people anymore. Like we have to. I mean, it seems like the dynamics, to your point, may move more in your favor, right? Because... 2020 also meant that there was probably advocacy became way more important. That's right. Because there was bigger issues that had real life and death situations associated with them. And then number two is that, to your point, when you look at brands that can truly speak to Latinas, second generation Latinas, or first generation, right, it's just 
there isn't a lot of them out there. It's of course like your Univisions, who still to this day speak to our grandmothers more That's than right. anything else, or country of origin programming. So uh, you could totally see how well, that Well, they also speak benefit. to that, whatever the example is of the boilerplate family with the smiling Colgate ad. Uh, right. Think, fat, yeah. That right. group of people, they nail every yeah. time. <laughs> whoever they are, <laughs> whoever right. those people whoever are. they are. The matching sweater. <laughs> the right. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's perfect. Uh, that is perfect. Luce, would you, would you ever uh, run for office again? Uh, you know, I for a minute about, I would say pre-pandemic, I actually was considering running again. You know, I I really, I was just really good at my job and I love helping people. That is the thing that, that gets me going. And I, I missed interacting with people and, and, and just feeling like I, even in the smallest of ways, one person at a time, was able to have some sort of a positive impact and sure. and on the macro level was able to do so through policy and laws, you know, and, and and so that's just always been the thing that really drives me. And what doesn't drive me is the politics. Sure. <laughs> and, what, and what is it, though? The, what do you mean? What doesn't drive you is the politics? The well, process? you know, uh, the, the state of it, the process, the state of it. Um, and frankly, the problems that persist throughout the system okay. and all of the political parties. And, and, and people, unless you're very intimately involved in politics, you just don't realize how broken and how, um, frankly, similar all of the parties are mm-hmm. in terms of the inner machinations than you think they are. You think that people are operating on these set of ideals, but ultimately they're operating on many of the same things, the influence of money, the influence of power, yeah. the influence of, um, of of their own, protecting their own fiefdoms that they've created. Um, you know, to me, the whether it's... Um, the Senate majority leader, the House speaker, it doesn't matter what political party they're from, they're protecting the same things. And ultimately, when you see the end result of that, it um, it ultimately ends up being the same effect. And that is, is that the everyday person is, isn't being helped and isn't getting the opportunities that, that America promised them, um, regardless of what political affiliation they have checked on their voter registration I mean, card. To your point, Lucy, even to me, it was very surprising seeing someone like AOC getting a lot of a lot of heat recently, um, because obviously with her and the other with the, the Fat Five, right? I was, I was thinking what they were called uh, that came in um, the squad, the squad, <laughs> right? They're very very progressive and not being called for not being progressive enough, for not right. you know taking a task, Nancy Pelosi, and for not right. pushing the progressive agenda more. But to your point, it, it, like even for those that were seen right from the beginning as right. being like the anti-system, you know, kind of folks, even they have struggled with living up to those expectations. I think you know you see sort of them pushing it a little bit more thing recently, but but still, like it, it just kind of points to how hard it is to try to change, even when you're you know when, you're, when that is your brand to be like the the anti you know establishment establishment kind of person, right? And that's because it is, and that's why I started out by saying a system first. And not necessarily the people within it, uh, you know. And and our and I I don't I don't say this as an as you know hyperbole. I'm not trying to scare mm-hmm. anyone. But our democracy is very fragile right now, 
very fragile. And people have no idea how close to the precipice of failure that we actually are. People think that we can't be you know, a Latin American country or some of these democracies in, in other parts of the world. Like a failed state. Right. That have failed or that came into some very serious crisis. We are very, very close. And this has been something that has started when when um, Citizens United was first decided. And for people who don't know, that's the case that said that there was an unlimited amount of money that could um, go into politics and that famously declared that corporations are people. And, and when that was decided, I said to many, this is the beginning of the end. And sure enough, it happened much faster than I, even I thought it would happen. But we have very, very quickly turned into not a democracy, but a form of oligarchy. And in, in, and when so much money is being poured into our structure, again, the structure that then gerrymanders, mm-hmm. that then um, creates, then, then puts in all these extreme ideologues on both sides, okay, both sides, because extremism on any end is not good, right? Mm-hmm. But when you, when you have folks that are now... Um, you know, co- attacking the Constitution itself. When you have folks that are um, that that are just there enriching themselves, which there's plenty of those. That's always been a thing, but now it's even more so, right? And and there is no way to challenge that person because of how um, gerrymandered that particular district has been. It is no longer a system that functions. That people <laughs> think they have choice. Voters think they have choice. But they actually don't hmm. because that those candidate those candidates that they got in their primary, they have no idea that the five million dollars that was poured into that race came from some special interest because they're trying to protect whatever, whatever. Again, I'm not talking right. about left or right. No, I get any it. interest, right? Yeah. And because you you know I I have my fair share of critique about labor and and unions and I've had that critique as I was an elected official that's part of the reason why I was I went from rising star to black sheep is what I tell people within the Democratic Party. <laughs> it probably means you're doing something right, right? right? <laughs> because I wasn't afraid to critique my own. Yeah. And and so, you know, to to close this up, um we we think that we have choice, but you have no idea that that person that's on your ballot and all of that misinformation and disinformation and persuasive ads and all of those things that you were served throughout the entire campaign, half of which is false, um, you have no idea it came from one source that put in $10 million to get that person there. And, and now right. you're, you're saying, oh, well, I like this person over the other person. Well, actually, you, you probably like the other person, but that person didn't have $10 million to communicate with you. I think the other part you. that people don't realize is the degree to which all of these influential people do get together and the millions and tens of millions and billions maybe, and how they want to move things an inch or two in a particular direction and the amount of time, energy, money that they'll put toward that end. It's not like, oh, I want to create some new form of government. No, it's like, I want to have this thing to have five of those instead of four of those. And I'm going to put $100 million into this, talk to 1,000 people, start a pack. Because of the downstream power of what that additional thing, whatever it is, may actually mean for them and for others. Right. Right? Right. And you, I mean, you have a unique experience, lawyer, legislator, all that stuff, which is why, for me, it's interesting to get your perspective. You think it's getting worse. 
Is that your view? Absolutely. 1,000% getting worse. Okay. It's not getting better. And is there any prescription? Like, what's your prescription then? Is there, is there, because I mean, the, the, the Trump thing was, we'll blow it up. Let's blow the whole thing up and start from scratch. And it was you know very what? attractive to a lot I, of people. You know, I hate to admit this, yeah. but when when Trump was on the scene and, and the possibility of him getting elected was becoming very real, and I was one of the few who understood that we were in trouble and said, you know what, this person can actually win and was not that surprised when he did. Because, again, I was following what the the Hillary campaign was actually doing, who they were not listening to, what they were not doing on the ground, the the pockets where she, that she ended up losing that lost cost her the entire election. Um, you know, it, it, all of those things. Right. I was not surprised. And and ultimately, though, when he did win, I said to myself, you know what? OK, this might not be that bad if he, in fact, does blow it all up. Interesting. He didn't blow it up though. That's yeah. the problem. Okay. You know, like it was so a good narrative, I, I was like, you know what? And yeah. lots of people voted for him for that, reason, for that reason because they said, you know what? Let's just go ahead and hit that reset button. Let's blow this sucker up. And yeah, drain the swamp. Dra- big, quote unquote, yeah. drain the swamp. Of course, he just like in, enlarged the swamp. I mean, right. you know, the man was just did the exact opposite of what he said he was going to do. Um, but you know, I was like, okay, this might not be that bad. I say that, you know, with all of the caveats, like, sure. I, you know, I, I, I so did not support that person at all. But I, for a second, I will admit that I was like, okay, if he at least does that, then maybe we can see some change. Because, yes, to your original question about what do we do, the system does need some fundamental change. We need to get money out of politics. We, you know, I was, you all know I was a big Bernie person at the the beginning. Campaign financing, right? That's a big one. Campaign finance reform. What about term limits? super boring. Oh, 1000%. I was elected because of term limits. Are you kidding me? Now, too short term limits are a problem. You need to let people figure out where the bathroom is before you go booting them out. But, but we had, for example, in Nevada, state legislative term limits that were um, voter approved. It became, it came in place because of a ballot measure. I benefited from that because the person that was in my seat had been there for like 20, 30 years, something like that. They got termed out immediately and I was in all these seats opened up. Right. Right. It gave us the opportunity to have these new voices in there. And it's the same thing with Congress. There should 1000 percent be term limits on Congress. People do not need to be in that same position for 40, 50, 60, 70 years. My God, you shouldn't even be in one job for that long. I've said this a bunch of times when I hear about people being I mean, we were just we just had Joe Collins on the seat that you're in a moment ago, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And he was talking a lot about Maxine Waters. And one of the big beefs he has is like, hey, make way for younger people like you've been in the chair for 47 years. Right. Like it's time to go do something else and we were and I was thinking about it in what other scenario or profession would you be somewhere for a half a century and really not kind of top out or advance or retire education. or education yeah you could but even then you have tenure you have books you have you, you yeah. kind of like you know it's like not like you're tenured it's like that's what it is it's like yeah like tenured politicians that yeah. they, they've hit that yeah. and now they're good yeah feels like it because there's yeah. no way to fire them really with there all the amount no of gerrymandering that's and happening they have so much name recognition that it's just really right. hard to get that's them out right. of there yeah uh, uh, go yeah. ahead sorry no I, and I was just going to say you know between campaign finance reform between term limits um those two really are the the big ones but we also need room for more parties the party structure, yeah. the party structure is I much, much you. too narrow. And if you're not, you know, part of the reason why I'm still a Democrat is because I have to be. 
truly. And, and that's real. And that's probably come back to bite me in the ass one day, but I don't really care because it's the truth. Right? right. Like, I think, I there, am, I think it's a good option. Yeah. You know, Bernie mm-hmm. is an independent in Vermont because he has that choice, right? If I could be an independent and still run somewhere, and by the way, to answer the other question, I don't want to run for office anytime soon. But that door is open. But and if so you if, were going <laughs> to run, what would so, it be? Yeah, well, I'm no, curious. No, 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 what, what would that no, be? No, no. Like? What would be the kind of, yeah, what would be the no kind idea. of scene? That's what I'm saying. I don't know. I don't know. Someday, mm. some, I don't know. Well, we'll, we'll um, get to that. We got time. Gonna, <laughs> but it could be in 10 years, 30 years. Who the hell knows, right? But I do feel, that's right. But I do feel like that is where a lot of my calling is, a lot of my purpose is. And, you know, I don't know. I've not given up on America, although I feel. You know, very well, sad can for I ask our you country. A question in a different way? Yes. Which is when you look at the political system that we have right now, both federal and local, where do you see the place to make the biggest impact? Right? Like if you actually want to create impact in a community. It depends where, on what where, kind where of impact. See? That is different for so many different people, right? Like if you want to if if your thing is education and kids and your and children in the community, then you should run for school board. That's mm. where you're going to make the biggest impact. If um if you if you're in a majority people of color city and your entire city council is white and old, then right. you should run for city council, right? Um if and the list goes on and on. There's sure. like all these examples. And I always tell people like at the end of the day, if you're going to run if you want to have an impact, there's a thousand different ways to do it, but it needs to be first and foremost based on the issues that speak to your heart mm-hmm. and that are going to motivate you every single day because let me tell you, once you get into this game, you're going to ask yourself every single day why you did it. Yeah. <laughs> and it needs yeah, to be worth it. Well, I only ask one thing, Lucy, if you do decide to run again, that you make that announcement here. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you noticed, but we are having a bit of a recall thing going on right now in the state of California. So uh, you might want to... Uh, I definitely yeah, yeah. Step, no, I do not that, want that, that Step into I, that fray. I am glad I stepped out of the time I did because, you know, I'm enjoying my life. I, yeah. I'm making my own impact still, you know, in, in different ways in media and ways that I love. And uh, and I do not envy any of these folks' jobs right. because totally it agree. is hard. Totally agree. We got to move on to courage and cringe. Uh, we're gonna got, we're gonna go through the uh, subjects that we have. The last point that I would make, though, on this, just the last point to get your thoughts. I know you're a lawyer, so you're gonna answer this in a particular way. <laughs> why is it? When did it happen that 99% of elected officials were lawyers? Like that's the profession. That's what you study. I mean, we don't have people who are. I mean, we have some. We have some people, right, uh, who, who are business okay. person or doctor became politician. But it's really a law to politics thing. Okay, here's here's my here's my I don't know my guess. Mm-hmm. It's really just a guess. I think it all has to do with alignment. I got into politics because I became involved in certain policy issues. I became very intimately involved with wrongful convictions, specifically in college. Mm -hmm. That led me on this entire path that led me to my state legislature, which led me to eventually become inspired by Obama um, to become involved in my very first campaign ever, Two years later, I was being sworn into the state legislature as the first Latina ever elected to the state legislature in the history of Nevada, right? Like, that's the way that trajectory mm-hmm. ended up. And it wasn't because I was a lawyer and therefore it made sense to be—it be, uh, was because I became involved in those issues. And I will say this. I think that when you are creating policy, 
and you're creating laws. And this is what a mentor told me one time and it stuck with me. She hated practicing law and so did I, by the way. Um, But I did it because she said to me, if you're going to be passing laws and you're going to be working on laws, then you should at least know how that's going to personally affect you. And the only way to do that is to practice it. That makes a lot of sense. And that made yeah, so that much sense, sense to me, you know, and I true, think, uh, yeah. I, I think that's the good side of it, but I think it also can sometimes lead to some of the stuff you're always complaining about, which is the gridlock, right? Because we also know well, how law works from a corporate setting, just as an example, right? This kind of interminable back and forth of red lines, arguing minutia that on a practical level may never come up. But in the, in the case of government, like that back and forth of trying to pass a bill or policy or whatever... I think also adds in some respects to the kind of gridlock that we see. I actually disagree with you. I, I don't think that that comes from lawyers at all, and that's not me defending my practice <laughs> and my people. Don't come from my people. Um, no, it's, I don't think it has to do anything to be with lawyers, a bunch of lawyers. It has everything to do with processes, process, yeah, yeah, and so, that they're yeah, antiquated. My argument that I, that I make is, look, I think that what you just described as to why lawyers could, you know, could see, you could see a path into politics because of understanding. If you know write policy, you got to see it in practice. Right. My, my only argument is that we do so little policy at this point, right, that, that to me, being a politician has actually become very little about actually writing policy because we pass so little policy, you know, this day and age. Where because we get so of the hung gridlock. Up. Exactly, but right? So has, I have so yeah. many issues with, you know, Senate, the House, really the whole thing that so little actually gets done. We get caught up in all these culture war issues. Yeah. It's all about sound bites, right? right? I mean, at this point, I think probably the best profession would be like good PR people. Probably be best politicians, people that are like well, come from entertainment that know sure. how to speak to a crowd, content, storytelling, you know, social story, marketers. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, like that may end up being the best. I'm not advocating for, for that. I'm not advocating it. I'm just saying a little diversity <laughs> would be that, nice. That's well, why you think of a Trump as an entertainer. Yeah, does that rally a crowd? Well, and just as remember, marketer, just remember that on the federal level is also different from your state and local yeah, level, right? I'm talking smack about federal right now. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's, that's what and, and there is a lot of gridlock at all levels of government, to yeah. be sure. But there is a lot of um, factors that that go into that and that have caused that, and and it's not because so why lawyers end up in politics and mm-hmm. there's so many of them. I think it's just that it's issue alignment. It's like it naturally lends itself to it. But I, 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 I don't think anybody like sets out and says, yeah, I'm you. gonna be this thing. I you hear know? you. I, I always tend to look suspiciously at things that have like a very one note kind of composition. So that's sure. why I thought I'd ask. All right, <laughs> Let's, uh, Lucy, yeah. we gotta move on to our amazing topics for the day. So we've got gun-toting couples, we've got uh, mandated COVID vaccines, and we've got some Olympic drama uh, that we're going to talk about today. I know you've heard the show. I have. But nevertheless... I would like to give a creative suggestion. Yes, please. I feel like you guys need like some sort of like, I don't know, intro, like some cool thing. We do. We've talked about it. We've even looked at different jingles, you know? (laughs) (laughs) We just haven't done it, but yeah, you're right. Well, see, the the magic of... Launch into it. The magic of recording things that aren't live is this episode will actually contain that. Oh, And people will have already heard what you just suggested. Uh, You know what? 
I claim that IP first. <laughs> I want to be clear. Lucy Flores came up with that idea. Nice. All nice. right. So um, uh, I know you've heard this show, but nevertheless, we're going to have Jesus uh, tell us the rules of the game so yeah, that we so can play. I love it when Jesus playing, tells me what to do. Yeah, cur- yeah we know that. <laughs> Welcome to my life. We're playing courage or cringe. So we'll go through three topics. I'm going to tee up each topic. And then the idea is basically, you know, as you look at the, the issue, is you say, say whether or not you think it's courageous or cringeworthy. Um, and being that you're our very, very special guest, Lucy, you're going to get to go first every single time. Oh, goodness Every gracious. time. Nobody every ever lets time. me go first. <laughs> that all changes here. That all changes here. First of all, you don't need anyone letting you do anything. Well, that is true. It. I go first so, anyway. Yeah, so, so you're going to do it anyway. So we figured might as well pretend like we But it's different in something. that they're letting me. You're letting right. me. You know, no, I don't have no, to. No. We just kind of knew that was going to happen anyway. So we just... We're going second, I guess uh, is a okay. better way to put it. There All you right. go. There you go. Uh, Remember, so, second is the first loser. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Jesus will go first. <laughs> so first topic, courage or cringe. Missouri governor pardons St. Louis couple who pointed guns at protesters. So you guys remember this. It sounds like it's going to make a headline. Jesus, yeah. So as CNN reported, and many people reported about this, this past week, Missouri Republican Governor Mike Parson pardoned Patricia and Mark McCloskey. They were the St. Louis homeowners who infamously, infamously were caught on video pointing guns at protesters near their home last summer as protesters walked by their house, right? Now, the couple had been charged and had pleaded guilty to misdemeanor charges. For Mark uh, McCloskey, he pleaded guilty to fourth-degree assault and faced a $750 fine, while Patricia McCloskey pleaded guilty to a second-degree harassment and faced a $2,000 fine. They had to surrender their semi-automatic rifle and handgun as part of the plea agreement. Now, what, what is what is for, What could be a fourth-degree assault? Like... What's first degree, second, third, and fourth degree assault? Like just for somebody who's not initiated in this, what could it be? Uh, so I'm I'm not a criminal law mm-hmm. um, attorney. That being said, it's variations of um, things like was there touch involved um, to the extent that the person felt like their life was in danger. It's level, right? Yeah, exactly. And and these laws are very oftentimes very state specific. So some mm-hmm. some states might not even have fourth or third degree, et cetera. So it really is just a, usually a difference of tiny little elements that. And oftentimes, what you'll find is that prosecutors will go after sometimes the most minimal one because it's the one it's a strategy thing they think that's the one that they can get because they have to prove less elements it also is intent right so you think about first degree murder versus second degree murder intent is always a part of one of the elements of the crime so I assaulted you but I didn't mean to would be a fourth degree well and that can also then turn into a gross negligence situation right because Mm. negligence also so if we can't prove that there is intent if we think well I can't prove intent then I might move it over into a negligence type of charge instead of an actual assault your action was so idiotic that it resulted in something Hurt. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. So back in June of last year, 2020, the video went viral, right? That showed Mark McCloskey holding a long rifle and his wife Patricia a handgun at demonstrators, right? Who were protesting then Mayor Lydia Cruzen's uh, decision to publish the names and addresses of people in favor of police reform, right? So th- she basically pointed their guns at them as as the protesters were, were walking past their home. Now, according to St. Louis Circuit uh, Attorney Kim Gardner who filed the charges against the McCloskeys, uh, she said, well, find these charges last year. I right? said, it is legal to wave weapons in a threatening manner at those participating in nonviolent protests. Illegal. Illegal, yeah. yes. So because actually Missouri is an open carry state, mm-hmm. right? So people can actually, you know, have it out. But uh, there's, you know, within their law, of course, is the moment you start mm-hmm. throwing people with a the gun, then mm-hmm. it becomes illegal. Now, the, the incident immediately raised the profile of the McCloskeys and kind of shot them into the national Republican politics stage, right? as a number of politicians immediately chimed in about the situation, including former President Trump, who defended their actions. 
And for the governor, he actually came out right away and said that if charges were going to be filed against that, he was going to pardon them. Um, he was prepared to pardon them. So he made it very clear the second this came out that he was going to pardon, which he did, obviously. A preemptive pardon. Mm-hmm. Preemptive pardon, right? Terrible. Um, oh, now, Mark McCloskey has now <laughs> turned his notoriety into a Surprises bid for the U.S. Senate. Surprises, yes. Uh, and pictures of him brandishing a long rifle outside of his St. Louis mansion are prominently featured on his campaign website and social media, which actually I showed the picture. It is hilarious. Power of branding. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, it one is of our many it's things like wrong with our for culture. For those that don't know what this guy looks like, like he's like amazing the marketers. goofiest looking dude. <laughs> holding a gun. It's like, you do not look tough. Neither one of them. Like, it's the funniest picture in my mind. Come on, Asus. Don't make it personal. But um, no, it's not. It just, just does not look tough. Um, uh, courage or cringe. Governor protecting the rights of its citizens to defend themselves or misuse of power to score political points while, publish, while pushing a pro-police and anti-protest narrative. Miss Lucy Flores, so courage or cringe to be clear is on the specifically on the on the governor pardoning the the, the couple who pointed those. Well, I mean, I would like to say that first off, I think you all gave me some softballs because it's pretty clear I'm going to land on this, one thousand percent cringe, and even prefacing it with courage in protecting someone's right to defend themselves is inaccurate because that's not what happened here. So it has, you know, it's not even, you can't even give courage on a preface uh, or on a premise that doesn't exist. Yeah, but that was they, a premise that was both, like Trump pushed that premise, the government pushed that premise. But that's what I'm premise. saying. It's, a, mean, like, narrati- that was the it's a narrative, narrative that, that, they, was pu- that, that was out, yeah. pushed. But the narrative is in and of itself false. They did not defend anything there and here's the thing okay castle doctrine is a very well-known legal doctrine it says that you can defend yourself in your home with with lethal force if someone comes into your home you can kill them it's been extended to your property right if you feel that they're and you don't have to feel imminent threat of of injury like Period. You Somebody walk just in, shows you up in your in bedroom. You're like, house, what the hell is going on? I like, could be like, calm as day. I feel no fear. But if I shoot you, I am justified in killing right. you. Right? It's a very well-known It's a very well known doctrine. In, in those case, Lucy, does, the, does your property define to your property line? Because then it was, to me, it starts getting super gray, right? When well, you think about these homes gets, that have like way open sh- front exactly. yard. Which is the case here, by the way. Which, a massive but, yeah, property. Yeah, yeah. But a mass, exactly. It is literally a castle. Talk about but castle that, law. Like those people had a legit they had castle. A castle. And they were both lawyers. Which, they were both uh, lawyers, yeah. which, which, by the way, I believe they got disbarred after that as well. I don't know if that got reinstated. Um, they, but they did not lose the their license. the reason why I bring up the castle doctrine is because even in that situation, right. you would not be able to invoke it because those protesters were walking on the street, right? right? So there, there is just no, um, there in no situation, and that's why it was so easy to convict them under no situation or, or context to the situation, does it justify their actions? They did not defend anything. They overreacted. They broke the law. If I cannot point a gun at you, if you're walking down the street on your way to the post office, mm-hmm. then they cannot point a gun at you if you're walking down the street in protest to the mayor's house, who happens to be your neighbor. Mm-hmm. It's pretty okay. simple. All right. Mr. Charlie. Well, off to a good start. Why, 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 why am I going next? <laughs> just going to, <laughs> go to the right. No, it's fine. I can, I can go this is good. This going is to the right, figuratively and literally. Here's the thing. Um... Speaking of literally, I'm going to do this very literally. And what we're talking about is whether or not it's courageous or cringeworthy 
for the governor to pardon these people Correct. or, or any, anybody. Yeah, yeah. And well, not anybody. These people, but it's well, these, case. these people. Yeah, yeah, these people. But my, uh, I guess my point is, in terms of being literal, is that what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to go courageous, and the reason for that is because of the act of a governor's pardon. Okay, so I'm limiting it to that, and what I'm what I mean by that is that the assumption that a governor pardons only people who are innocent of any wrongdoing is not correct. Governors no. pardon people who have done something wrong. And they do it, who knows why, probably 98% political. But maybe there's 2% that does it because they believe that that person served out their debt to society or whatever. Nevertheless, the idea of a governor pardoning somebody is not that they didn't do anything wrong, but the fact that they pardoned them. And so ultimately, that's where I net out on this thing. Now, having said that, let me tell you the, the, the things that I'm thinking about. Number one is the fact everything that this couple did, everything with respect to firearms was incorrect. Everything. Okay. From a person who is, I don't have any now, but I've owned firearms. I've gone, I've, I've taken the safety courses. I've gone to many ranges. My friends have guns. Everything you're not supposed to do, they did. Period. Okay? okay. Fingers on triggers instead of trigger guards. Pointing the gun, even if a gun is not loaded. Forget about not loaded. It could be well, taken I, I apart. I've seen that it, uh, somewhere they reported that it wasn't loaded. Like the rifle wasn't no, loaded. No, no, no. That, that, that the gun does didn't work. And it's true that they verified it didn't work. It doesn't matter. Here's my right. point. Right. It cannot work. It can be broken and unloaded. Right. You never, ever it's like the point first a gun. Rule it's literally like sure. it is. It's like yeah. the first rule, right? And then on top of that, now you're not just pointing it into to one person, but many people. And at a distance, which is even worse. With, to make matters even worse, an AR-15, which is a notoriously inaccurate weapon. So even if you're trying to shoot you, I might hit her. Mm-hmm. Right. So there is no, no scenario where what these right. guys did is correct. Now... Having said that, the reports that I read and from Wikipedia, because I know that there's a lot of charge stuff on this on either side, was that there was 500 protesters mm-hmm. that were in this gated community and walking up to these folks' houses. And I got to tell you, just by looking at these guys, these are people that probably, like, plan who rings their doorbell, okay? Like, and they're not the kind to, like, just receive people. I don't care what who they are. Sure. They seem very, very tightly wound, okay? <laughs> so I imagine 500 people rolling up into your gated community as being something shocking, scandalous. Uh, and I'm not suggesting that that's a good thing. I'm just saying that that's the kind of people that these guys are. So I can see that this fear is kind of understandable in a way and that it generated – all of these things generated the charges that they eventually kind of acknowledge, right, which is this fourth-degree assault and all these other different things. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't – and I'm not, I'm not giving you a rationale for what they did because I believe what they did was wrong, but I understand that it can cause – this crazy kind of response. And furthermore, as it relates to the governor's pardon, I believe that he's in within his power to do that, even if someone's committed uh, a crime, which is what the pardon but, but power is for. that's a different thing. So anyway, I'm courage. No, no, yeah. I get it. But, but you're, you're, you're totally saying it could be a different thing, right? Because look, can he do it? Of course he can. That's right. part of it. It's like the same thing like with, you know, outgoing president, they tend to pardon people and sometimes, you know, you find people that are very justified, we get pardoned even though they mm-hmm. were convicted and that's mm-hmm. fine. But that's not really what we're talking about here, right? We're not talking about whether or not the governor has the right to do it. I think what what I see, and the reason why I'm not fully understanding your your rationale, I think what you answer mostly is like the governor has the right to do it, and therefore you agree with it because he simply has the right to do it. I don't it. agree with it. I just think it's courageous or cringeworthy. But, it's courageous, not cringeworthy. But you think his actions to mm-hmm. pardon someone that he immediately said he was going to pardon, even before he even knew what the charges, basically right. it didn't matter what the yeah. charges were. 
no matter what you say about these people, I'm going to pardon them because I have the right to do it. That action is what you see as courageous? That, no. That part, to be honest, even in my own research, I didn't know that part until you said it yeah, live yeah. on the show. The fact that he had preemptively yeah, said yeah. that. He came out right And away. I think it may have changed my calculus because I didn't actually know that. But yeah. um, no, nevertheless, I think that the situation was combustible enough. Sure. These people were on their property doing something wrong. But for a reason that I can imagine for their case, they would have thought was okay to do. And so all of those things, plus the fact that they were charged, there was a legal issue. I don't know if they were disbarred, but I don't think they lost their license, but I I don't see them winning any popularity contests. I think all of those things. He hasn't won it it yet. He hasn't won it yet. Um, But so I think all of those together, you can make a case as a governor, assuming he didn't preemptively do it. And again, this kind of changes my calculus, but you can make a case as a governor. Okay, I'm going to pardon these people because they've served their debt, you know, based on what they did. Based on the magnitude of what they did, I think that they've served enough, so I'm going to pardon them. I think you can do that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm definitely the opposite because I feel like they did not serve their debt. And, and you take them – I'm sorry, their debt is like 750 bucks and whatever. the two. That's, but the, the bigger thing is the, is the political signaling that it does mm-hmm. by telling basically their base is, look, these people came out and defended freedom – I'm therefore going to pardon them no matter what the, you know, what, what the, you know, what the law says, which to me, that's, that's already, it puts me in a really odd situation. Like you are, you're already are, are throwing some really major signals around, around this, your same legal arm. You know, we, we, we tend to talk about these conservative folks as being pro-police, pro-law. Well, you're saying you're not pro-law. Right. Because you're saying no matter what the law is, these people are going to be off. Right. So I already have a really big issue with that. And, and to, to me, when you're in an open carry state, and this guy comes out once again, and I'm not picking on him. But he's a goofy looking dude yeah, with, open, with an open, AR-15. No, open no, carry Jesus is no, not no. about pulling your gun out, though. Just so you know, for sure, it's, it's about like, showing it's your visible. Yeah, that's right. Of course. So my point here is that it's not only is visible, but you can actually carry it out outside, right. right? So I think what what these people did is with the moment that he takes out that rifle and is pointing to the crowd, someone could have shot him, and they would be justified in shooting him because now they're in being down there in threat. Right. And I have no idea whether or not. First of all, I don't even know this is your house. How would I even know that? If you're outside of your house, walking around in your front yard, you could be someone that is a neighbor. I don't even know that's even your house. Well, if not, you watch the there. video, they were yelling private property get off. So that's sure. how you could assume that it you was could, their house. Sure, you could you can say that, but you're walking around, you're putting your gun at people in an open carry state. Agreed. If this was Texas, which is probably even more aggressive, someone could have pulled out and just shot him. So you were threatening my life. You pointed your gun at me and I'm shooting you, and I never even crossed your property. Mm-hmm. So they did, and I mean, that's why I think when you describe it, I think they did everything incorrectly. And I find it just really ridiculous for a, a governor to be so callous to say that I don't care for the law. I don't care for creating dangerous situations with my own constituents. And I'm going to pardon someone just because it gives me more political points. And I, I do think, you know, that, uh, yes, pardons are generally, they've been used for many different ways over the many hundreds of years that they've been in existence and they've oftentimes been controversial and and yes they're used to pardon people who are clearly guilty of the things that they've done if he used this pardon to buck some sort of system you know to like address some sort of a like a meaningful thing mm-hmm. in that case whether i agree with it or not okay i could see it being courageous but he didn't like the if the question is the use of the pardon for whatever purpose, which clearly here is pretty political. He's made it clear it's political. I just don't if see that cur- as being if courageous. If the courage or cringe would have been on whether or not his preemptive uh, thing 
the fact that he had a preemptive right. thing, I think it would have been a very different conversation from well, my standpoint. Uh, just like because think, I'm asking by your logic, I'm trying to think what crime are you okay with a governor pardoning? No, I'm 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 speaking. It's a very specific. So so I think we're we're literally answering two different things. You're you're answering courage or cringe to the act of a governor being a partner crime, and I'm I'm, I'm encouraged on I'm that. Pardoning these people? No, no, no. no, 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 no I'm, I'm being specific. Pardoning these put people. Put them out of the, put put them out on the side for a second. The the right of a governor to pardon people, mm-hmm. regardless of crime, is to me is is courage. And I will say, having that right versus not having the right, I will say that's always should be courage having that right. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this specific use case, right? Of actually pardoning these people, and then making more blatant that he actually was. This is not the part to me that's so ridiculous. Is that being very vocal that you're going to do it anyway. Yeah, and again, that's of the part the, of what the law is. Shame no, on way, me because that's the part I didn't could, know. He could have done that anyway, right? Because his point is, I don't know if there is a, a, I don't know if there is a, some kind of restriction. So is there a certain type of crime that they can't pardon someone for? I, I don't know that. There's I mean, not only, so, um, in, uh, not impeachment, but, um, oh gosh. And this is on the, on the federal level. Um, but their own, they cannot pardon their own crimes. And, uh, and there's another one, um, yeah, treason. Oh, okay. Treason. Yeah, so there you go. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's the why to me is uh, uh, I'm for governors having the ability to pardon. Just the same way I'm for presidents being able to pardon, even whether I agree or not on what they're doing. I hope that they use, like, that power for good. Uh, by the way, even writing this, I didn't – I was kind of – I was to say the abuse of power. But I don't know. It's actually not abuse of power. So what would – I call it mm-hmm. misuse of power, right, which is – that's why I see it. It's not – that I'm disagreeing with the ability for them to do that. You yeah. would hope they I'm use just, it for yeah, situations just, right, right. where, you know, it makes right, right. it makes sense. They're undoing some sort of a wrong. Some, some, some or, sort of wrong or, or, you or know, like there's that, yeah. plenty of cases where folks are pardoned after they've served 20, 30, 40 years for right, a crime for that is now considered yeah, very yeah, minimal, yeah. et cetera. That happens, yeah. and, then, and or, sometimes or, it doesn't or happen or that way. if there was, even in this case, let's say they decided to make a um, an example out of these folks and they sentenced them to 10 years in prison right? I, and he pardoned them, then I would say, courageous. You know why? Because it's a, it's they, a they are we allowed to cuss? It's, to it's a with. shitty topic, right. but, and it's a shitty situation, but the punishment doesn't but fit. The punishment the doesn't fit. And, and if I am going to yeah, be true be to my core values, sure. right. And that I am, um, uh, you know, reason that we need to rest- also restructure our justice system, mm-hmm. then I, sure. then it has to apply to them as well as it applies. That's a, yeah. That would be a courageous situation, right? Can I just state one great irony that I found in doing the research that I did on this is that the crowd that had gathered for the demonstration, like you said, Jesus, was on their way to the then mayor's house. Mm-hmm to demand her resignation after she read the names of people who had said defund the police, right? Correct. Now, if you think about why would I object to that is because I don't want anybody to know who I am or where I live. And so the way that I, in other words, why would I object to someone knowing who I am? And had a particular position. Yeah, because it that, was it like a form of doxing? Was <laughs> yeah. exactly doxing? Of course, them? no, no. I understand the reason right. why, but what's behind that? Because ultimately, you're afraid somebody may come to your home or to your work, find you, and do something or say something that you don't want. That's the reason why doxing is so gross, right? right. right. And, and while that and stuff I think is when right, you're a uh, you know a mayor, you will hope that the mayor's office knows better than to try to put people in, in dangerous situations. Totally, to mm-hmm. totally hear that. Yeah, but yeah. this is this is the part that I mean was the kind of irony that I felt, uh, you know. I'm not folks, following the irony. Well, here's the irony. The people protesting uh-huh. that you are gonna you are being doxxed, which we're fearful of because people can come to my house. 
Well, yeah, but they didn't go but, to her. But they didn't go to their house. They were on they, their. They were on their they way went to her to house. Front house. No, 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 I no, mean, no. The not the, the not the couple that we're talking about. We're talking about the gov, the mayor's house. Yeah, yeah. Sure. But they were on their way to the mayor's house. Right. But, sure. but, but when you're an elected official and there literally is an address for your mayor, everyone knows where it is. Same thing, you know, here for for Garcetti. Same thing, right? Those protests at his house. You are taking on a certain amount of both responsibility and risk associated with the role. Right. But as having, you know, holding that office, I just think that it's also just it's a little bit of payback what they're doing. Right. So like, hey, we're going to use these tactics to dissuade people from actually having any kind of support. I guess something that I'm not supportive of because I'm going to put them in a situation where they're not they don't have staff protecting them. They don't have secret yeah, service. They I don't definitely have disagree with you. Don't have that. All the, I don't think that anybody that respect irrespective of what role they run for or get elected to should have their personal and family safety threatened by people coming to their house. I don't think that just because I'm a mayor. That just comes with the job. That no, people no, no, can no. five hundred people can show up in but, front of your house. Well, to like two different things. So you have so you have a crowd going protest in front of the house of a mayor versus going in and what these guys were basically arguing. These two were doing is like that they were defending their home. Yeah, no, I'm not talking about that I'm yeah, talking or, about or the, I'm that, talking about the irony of just going because someone is protesting outside of the mayor's office doesn't mean that they're there to go in there and kill their family and do all these different things. Those are yeah, two yeah, I'm very not saying that things. either. I'm saying so that the, the, the life, the endangerment of that person's life sure. is not the same thing. I'm just saying the way that I read it was I'm pissed that someone may come to my house because you're giving them my information. So I'm going to come to your house to show you I'm pissed about someone coming to my house. That's what I thought the irony was. Yeah, but yeah, you're talking about someone yeah, that is a, a mayor versus, versus versus your average Joe Blow. It's blow. a little apples and oranges. Uh, yeah. I agree. I agree with Jesus, although I do agree with you, too. Mm-hmm. No one, if I'm an elected official, my private life is my private sure. life. And unless I am in a state-sponsored home, then like a right, governor's mansion like your or office, something. The right, mayor's office. Your, yeah, okay, then that's I understand a little different. Yeah. But if it's just your house. This is your house. Then no one should go to it. I, I actually do mm-hmm. agree with that. That being said, I think the the, the irony and, you know, those two situations are, are apples and oranges and it's not the same okay. thing. But but so I like I, g- I agree with both of you. Wow. How about oh, come that? Come on. <laughs> no. That's not what no, the show's no, about. Yeah. That's not what the show's about. All right. All right let's right. find something we can really disagree with. COVID. Next topic. Topic two. Courage or New York City will require vaccines for entry to restaurants and gyms. Not controversial at all, right? Mm-mm. So, uh, <laughs> so New York City is stepping up its efforts in encouraging people to get vaccinated by requiring proof of vaccination to enter all restaurants, fitness centers, and indoor entertainment venues. Now, according to Mayor Bill de Blasio, he said, if you're unvaccinated, unfortunately, you will not be able to participate in many things. If you want to participate in our society fully, you've got to get vaccinated. Yeah. Now the policy will be implemented. Nearly perfect quote. Yeah. Well, that's it is exactly his quote. <laughs> no, I know. I'm saying it's yeah. The the policy perfect will, yeah, encapsulation of the argument. Yeah. The policy will be implemented over the next few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, now New York is not alone, right? And it's pushed to requiring vaccination. Many corporations have recently announced similar moves, uh, which includes Cisco, Facebook, DoorDash, although just the corporate side. Uh, Frontier Airlines, Google, Hollywood Workers, Tyson Foods, United Airlines, Walgreens, Walt Disney, Walmart, just corporate again. Lots of companies. Um, do, you guys, do you guys just out of curiosity see a distinction between a, a state actor and a private company in this regard or no? Do you view it uh, the same way? I, I, I you, think there's difference. Yeah, for sure. There is differences. Oh, yeah, definitely. Lucy, you uh, don't see the difference. I, I see it the same, but they derive their powers from different places. Okay. so But ultimately, the, the, the fact that you know Disney would require me or – the city in which I live require me, you view them as the same. 
Similar. Correct, but they have, but there's different reasons why they're the same, okay. and they derive their powers in very different oh, ways. Oh, we should get into that. Yeah, I, I think they're very different, but I'm curious to hear your. All right. Okay, perfect. <laughs> so, um, in New York City, about 55 percent of its residents are fully vaccinated, according to city data. 55. 55 percent. Yeah. Okay. And about two thirds. What does fully vaccinated mean, though? Now that we have to have boosters. Both shots. No, both shots. No boosters. Just two shots. Just two shots. They have Just a mandated boosters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's not. Yeah. Uh, about two-thirds of Manhattan resident, residents are fully vaccinated, right, so higher, compared to just 46% of Bronx of uh, Bronx residents, right? Now, there are definitely concerns about how this will be implemented as it puts the onus on restaurants and entertainment venues' uh, employees. Uh, and then based on the backlash that we've seen across the country and rise of violence in, violent incidents just on masking, this is pretty concerning, right? Yeah. Now, ever since vaccination started, there has been disparities in vaccination uh, for underserved populations. Uh, however, CDC data is showing that um, white people getting shots at, the, at a faster rate than black and, and Hispanic people. Um, but, as, but as some of these, uh, over the last few weeks, as new cases surge, that vaccination gap is actually closing, right? So before you were having a lot of basically white people getting vaccinated faster and more of them, and black and Latino uh, audiences or people were, were less vaccinated, but that's, they seem to be catching up now, right? Right. So as of August 5th, uh, while Hispanic Latino people make up 70% of the nation's population, they totaled more than a quarter of those who initiated vaccination in the past two weeks, right? It's about 25%. And similarly, black people who make up about 12% uh, accounted for about 15% of those ser- uh, reserving a, a first dose. So they've been basically over-indexing over the last few weeks versus population. And even the population data, I, says, I saw somewhere that only like 60% of, of people that got vaccinated even know what their, what their ethnicity is. So mm. it's not really super accurate, mm-hmm. right? Um, now, there's also real hope that the vaccines will receive full approval this month, which is the other issue, right? And it's being reported that the FDA has begun accelerating the process to fully approve the Pfizer uh, COVID-19 vaccine, right? And, of course, Fauci, as I keep on saying, over-indexing <laughs> on everything, just talked about it again, and he was saying that he's hopeful. What's that month. Instagram, uh, what's his Instagram following? I'm just curious. You know uh, what I mean? Sure or Twitter. Up, yeah, it's like way over-indexing on over-indexing. I'm going to look at um, how many followers he has on Instagram, Fauci. I mean, I'm, so, a, I'm a Fauci fan. Yeah. You know, as, <laughs> I mean, but, but it is, that is a really good, um, um, well, not really good, that is definitely a, Doc Fauci, a, dot, an dot Fauci. He's got, 118,000 followers. What? That's it? That's it? On Instagram. Oh, but he's probably not... No, he's probably not active on Instagram. Let me check Twitter. Are we sure that's his official? Does it say it's Doc little, Fauci official? Little, or the does. real Doc Fauci? It oh, does. Yeah, yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure like the fake ones probably have right. more, right? Fauci. Does it have a blue check? Uh, Fauci on Twitter. Let me see here. Oh, he's got to have a lot on Twitter. Um, Seems like the better Actually, how come I can't, found, I can't find him on Twitter? What, what the heck? Dude, that's a lost opportunity. We need to encourage like your influence on right Fauci there. and his social media. We, we need to bring him in here to talk about it. <laughs> oh, he'll come. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he would. <laughs> just like pop out <laughs> no, of the like a garden gnome. He'll he, just pop up. He will. I'm ready to talk. <laughs> so I think it was Point interesting me about whatever the, direction you want. The full approval is, of course, if that happens, you have to imagine there could be even more businesses and cities that are going to require uh, yep. vaccination. Yep. Yep. Now, over the last 14 days, right, nationally, cases are up about 112%, hospitalization plus 83%, and deaths up plus 92%. Yep. Right? So, courage or cringe, Lucy? City taking a bold step to protect its citizens or politicians violating the rights of their citizens to control their bodies? Courage yeah. or cringe? So, Lucy I Flores. am definitely courage okay. for lots of different reasons, though. Um, Gosh, it seems like so many. Okay. Uh, you know, look, I, I think, you know what I said earlier, like I do not envy any of these people's jobs, right? Yeah. Like making these kinds of decisions right now is so hard. And you have to think about 
not just where folks stand in terms of their own beliefs, how much of it has been influenced by mis- and disinformation, um, what are the, the medical issues with folks that, that have immunity issues and just can't get, you know, what. And then there's, there's the process part as well. How do you verify this? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, what does that look like for businesses? Um, uh, who enforces it, right? It's all the, inf- the process, the enforcement mechanisms. Yeah. Um, and then what happens um, with the, the results, right? We have seen how violent people have gotten now on airplanes. Yeah. Obviously, I don't agree with that. Um, but you're going to have people who are going to act out sometimes violently, and there has to be plans for that. And so what, what I, when I do think, is this courage or cringe, you know, maybe to a certain extent, I do feel like slightly cringe only in that, are you sure this is fully planned out, right? right. Like, have yeah. you thought about all, and, and, and by when, because the date Answer, is soon, no, but, right? right? The date yeah. is soon. Yeah. But actually, that then lends itself to me saying, mm-hmm. well, I mean, it's pretty courageous if you're going to make this say, you know what, we have to get this under control. We have to do this. We're just going to figuratively and literally rip this Band-Aid off and y'all are going to get vaccinated and we're going to call it a day because mm-hmm. these because yeah. these ERs are filling up with unvaccinated people mostly, but some vaccinated people are starting to get sick now as well yeah. in these hot spots that are predominantly in places that have a massive, massively high unvaccinated risk rate. And so now you are exposing not only people who have been vaccinated, but you're giving the opportunity for this virus to continue to evolve, mm-hmm. right? We have Delta now. We don't know what's next. Then the, the last they already, version they already that introduced we another one. It's like Lambda. It's Lambda. Lambda. There Correct. you go. We're going to go through the entire Greek alphabet. Exactly. They start so, combining them. It sounds and, like a sorority. And again, this isn't like it's like something we know Bar- this is going to happen. No laugh, no laugh at that. all. This Delta, is not a Lambda, Gamma. No. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I know. The theta new whatever variant. Okay. Um, but so, you know, it's it's courageous in that he's taking a stance and frankly, like setting the bar and saying, All right, someone's gotta do it. It actually reminds me of remember when it was entirely controversial to talk about mandating a fifteen dollar minimum wage? Mm -hmm. Remember those days? It wasn't that long ago. And it's Seattle, still in some circles, people find well, it pretty controversial. Yes, sure, sure, sure. But I, I'm saying it's it's much more acceptable now. The conversation is happening at all levels of government. Whereas a couple years ago, when it was first introduced, Seattle was the first city to mandate it in their city, and everybody's oh, the sky is falling, business is going to leave. Of course, that didn't happen, right? We know it's not going to happen, but someone had to be the first. Mm-hmm. And so by them kind of being that first, and there's other cities who've done it, right? The city of Pasadena, with different caveats, of course. Um, but there's other cities that have s- declared for their own city, you know, if you're going to be a city employee, you need to be vaccinated, right. whatever, whatever. Now he's saying if you're going to function as a business and you want to partake of those businesses, you have to be vaccinated. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's courageous. Do we know if there's a exception? Is there a religious or medical exception to this? I would imagine exemption? that there is. I, there has yeah, to be I, I because people detail, there are some people who medically cannot 
have I'm not a religious, vaccine. But, but at least medical, you would assume. But the thing is, is that those people are the ones that we're trying to protect, right? If you cannot get a vaccine, yeah. like children right now, where we're now seeing that this Delta variant is much more lethal and dangerous to children than the original version was, those kids don't have a choice. It's it's and to me, the, the, it's you know, not any the other different. Thing I didn't see as well, and maybe there maybe that's part of the their game. There is a plan. Is that this is a kind of situation where like you have to have proof of vaccine and or a negative test within the last whatever because most people have taken that kind of approach as a here's the alternative right so people still have access and those to the, and those are those are very different things very meaningful differences we'll talk about it when I when yeah, I go yeah, yeah. well and I will say that yeah. the, the reason why I actually am, I don't agree with that strategy is because which right the one where you give them the option yes either, okay is because scientifically we know that by the time you test positive you could have infected. 50 people or whatever the case is. And right. sometimes you, by the time, and th- if it's a mandatory test every Monday or whatever the case is, then that's a little different from before where it was like, if you're experiencing symptoms, then go get, because we have so many people mm-hmm. who didn't experience symptoms. Right. Right. So it, it, there's too many and cases that, yeah. where if we're just relying on these tests, you could theoretically be positive it's very realistic that you could be positive sure, you're infecting the whole world the and then by the out, time yeah, you yeah. find out you know or, or and that, you but are. that argument holds That's... a lot more water i think a few weeks ago when we thought that people who were vaccinated couldn't spread it now since the medicine is the, the science is sort of evolved to say no you can be vaccinated and spread it correct it holds a lot less water to me you can still make the case about hey we're talking about having less people sick, less people in ERs, less drain on the system, less, mm-hmm. you know, situation there. I, I get that. But the part about transmissibility, that one doesn't hold as much but water. But the vaccinated people are getting getting it from the unvaccinated. No, but I'm That's saying but, I, but what I'm saying is vaccinated people can also spread yeah, it, which we where, didn't think for a while you could. where are the vaccinated could. people getting it from? The unvaccinated people. When ninety five percent of your new you, your your new infections are coming from unvaccinated people, you cannot say that it is the vaccinated who are the transmit the transmitters. Well, it, it is yeah, the I mean, unvaccinated, the primary, but the, they're still part of it. By the way, in terms, uh, in terms of naming by convention, a very minuscule by the numbers alone. Yeah, five percent. Right, exactly. So, is it possible? Yes, but in terms of saying, you know, well, I actually haven't looked at the data that close. I just remember it was like, no, they can't. Then it was like, yeah, they can. They can. And by but, and, and what I remember reading was actually fairly similar percentages as people who are not. No, but that but you have to take it a step further. Further, mm. Right. You cannot stop there in the analysis. You have to say, OK, yes, they can. What percentage of the new infections are amongst vaccinated people? And right now it has been between 95 and 99 percent, depending sure. on the location. Et I agree with that. But isn't that different than who can give it to someone else, though? In other words, who gets it? You're right. I agree. That's a lot less. But it's like, but the point is, uh, it's 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 not a big point. I'm just saying of your argument about keeping the emergency rooms not as burdened and transmissibility. Those are two separate things. I think that there's more weight or there's less weight to the transmissibility one now that we know that people who are vaccinated can also spread it. But anyway, I, I think your anger, well, yeah. your argument is that it's not zero, right? And it's not. People can be no, no, no. And my and, argument and is that the impact is sure. much smaller. Also, in terms of impact mm-hmm. on, on ER, 
uh, on emergency rooms, it's the va- unvaccinated folks that are filling up oh, those yeah, rooms because we also lot, know yeah. that if you're vaccinated and you get <clears throat> sick, um, in fact, the last the last numbers that I saw about a week or two ago, mm-hmm. so this is a little bit old, but was that, for example, in L.A. County, there was about four and a half million vaccinated people. Of those four and a half million vaccinated people, three zero thirty, or maybe it was thirty three, but three zero or thirty three people actually died out of the forty four point five million vaccinated people, and then the percentage of folks that actually ended up in the hospital was some other tiny minuscule number, and I don't remember what sure. it is, right? Yeah, yeah. So in terms of the burden, in terms of the effect that mm-hmm. vaccinated people are having on everything, the system mm-hmm. as a whole. Mm-hmm. It is not the vaccinated who are causing the problems. It is the unvaccinated. And that's what we're trying to get folks to either understand. And this is why I call it courageous. If you're not going to understand that, then we're going to have to force you to understand. And if you don't, and you know what? If you still don't want to get the vaccine, well, then I guess you're going to have to figure out where to have dinner tonight. That's the, so that last part, I think that's a good summation. That last part is the one that makes me fall, you know, come down on cringe on this, which is if you can't figure it out and if we just don't get to it, we're going to force you. Because what I believe is part of living in a free society is taking a certain amount of risk with certain things. That's part of just having freedom. Sure. And so there is going to be my personal belief is that the vaccines are safe. They're moral. There's something that you can actually make a case for is for the good of your neighbor, for the good of your community. And nevertheless, no one should be forced to, to take it. That's, that's, my, that's my belief. I also think, um, and this isn't being forced, you're right, but this to me seems, reminds me a lot of the NFL case, which is it's a de facto kind of forcing. In other words, in the, in the situation with the NFL, it was we're going to, um, you know, you're going to, you don't have to take the vaccine, but if you don't take the vaccine, you can't practice with the team. We're going to fine you in case anybody gets, or oh, we're going to forfeit the game. We're going to fine you 50 grand. You're effectively, you know, it's a de facto kind of uh, a forcing. And at least it's close to that, which is what makes me really uncomfortable. Right. I think there's at least four reasons why somebody can have a principled reason to not get any vaccine. Okay. These, these conversations for me around COVID end up becoming arguing the wrong thing. Like we even just did it a minute ago, right? Transmissibility percentages and all this right. stuff. People die. The vaccines are good. Like, I get that, right? But- what I think is important to bear in mind are the principles that can give somebody a reason why they would object to have any vaccine. Forget about COVID for a second, any mm-hmm. vaccine. One of them is a medical reason, which you've already talked about, right? Yep. Specifically for me, the whole idea that we don't even – like a vaccine is a general intervention. It's the same dosage. It's the same size. It's the same thing for everybody. But nobody gets treated medically that way. Everybody gets treated as an individual. And so for a vaccine, there's a simple process in the beginning called titers, which is basically what we call antibody testing Mm -hmm, now, mm -hmm. that determine how much immunity you have to the thing to begin with Mm. before you're vaccinated. I went through this with my own kids with rubella years and years ago. And one of my sons, the number was 10 that he had to be. He was 36. Mm. His current immunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were saying, no, no, we got to give him. A more. I was like, we're trying to get him to 10. He's a 36. Yeah. He doesn't need this. Right. 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 That idea of just having this kind of you just need to get the shot without taking that, that, that first step to me is a reason why you could have a medical reason why you wouldn't want to do that. Okay. Sure. The second is religious, which you've already talked about, right? In the case of these, uh, depends on the on the vaccine. You guys both know I'm pro-life. 
if we have a situation where the vaccine is tested on an aborted fetal line, like I've got a, I've got a challenge with that. Now, it doesn't mean that I still can't morally take it. I just said I could. But it's just like personally mm-hmm. I have a, I have sure. a problem with That's that. That's an influence. Sure. Yeah, sure. It's an influence. The, mm-hmm. the third one is legal, which is I can't sue anybody if I get sick. Can't sue the government. I can't sue Pfizer. I can't sue Moderna. I can't. Take it. And if something bad happens, you're screwed. I disagree with that. Okay. And the last one is a, method, is a medical one. I'm sorry, ethical one, mm-hmm. which – and we've kind of touched about – touched on this a second, but I believe all medical interventions, all of them should be voluntary. All of them should be voluntary. And so if it's a de facto, and I know this isn't technically forcing, but, man, we're pretty close. And you, Lucy, and I, maybe it was just a turn of phrase, but you even said, if they don't get it, we're going to have to force them to get it. That's the part that I disagree with. So ultimately, I think that, yes, we're going to get to 70%, 80%, and that 20% is going to suck and people are going to die. And to me, part of that is the cost of living in a free society. Sure. That's where I'm at. So I, I'm I will say as yeah. far as on the third one, yeah. the medical liability – See, we, we have to I, – I know that this is unprecedented, and so people forget that we have been operating under so many of these rules and norms for decades and decades and decades, and no one has ever questioned it. Medical liability, 1,000 percent, is one of those, right? Like, it, it that's one of the reasons you cited, and yet you take – Uh, If you've ever taken pain medication or if you've taken any over-the-counter stuff or any medication in your entire life, you can't – it's the same situation. You cannot sue a pharmaceutical company because you got a side effect or even potentially died unless they had the intent and or negligence where they knew you were going to die but they didn't tell you. When they when you see those commercials on TV and you're just they like rattle off at the end yes, of it like a car that, commercial. That's a part of that <laughs> disclaimer and you are assessing your risk and you're saying I'm going to take this medicine even though I Despite know that one side of the effects. side effects might be death. But right? ne- but nevertheless but here we're not hearing about those side effects being death because perhaps there won't there aren't any and nevertheless even though what you say may be true and I don't know I'm out of my depth on this one, Lucy, so you've got me. But what I still see is class action lawsuits against drug companies and drugs all the time. Yes, of course. And if that were the case with this particular vaccine, if something was to happen, they knew that, uh, you know, that, that this terrible thing. And, and you know, and, and I actually give credit to the government because remember when they stopped J&J, Johnson & Johnson? Yep. And, and like, because three people, seven people, I think, you know, it was less than, it was less than a handful um, experience. They thought there might be some connection to this blood clotting issue, right? Mm-hmm. They immediately paused it. And I thought that was so smart. That was so smart to do because they could not risk there being this, this unforeseen thing or potentially something they even knew about specific for two reasons. One, because they could not risk scaring the public in that way. And two, they were not going to open themselves up to that kind of liability, right? So I thought to myself, yep, I would have made the exact same call in pausing that J&J vaccine. And so when it comes to the medical liability thing, I just want to point out that if people are using that as a reservation to not to, to have this vaccine, that is something that is commonplace Every single day. And I'm referring to the and stuff that was specifically – I'm, specific, I'm specifically referring to the PrEP Act, which authorized a lot of these things, right? And the fact that that um, disclaimer is there about what you can or can't do with respect to 
any side effects that you get, you can't sue. All, all I'm saying is I'm bringing these up, not as points of view that I have, Something but just like, as a point I've, of view to share that there yeah. could be a principled reason why you wouldn't have this vaccine. And nevertheless, right. ultimately, my case is the same. I hope everybody gets it. I hope everybody sure, gets the sure. vaccine. But the point of it is, it's for me, it's the cost of, of yeah. living in a free society. Sure. Yeah. Okay. No, that, that, that all makes sense. Um, it does? I'm surprised. It does. No, I mean, it, it makes sense in terms of there's lots of reasons of why people don't want to get the vaccine. Well, what I found really interesting is I know a lot of people from very different walks of life. Mm-hmm. Very, even from, from opposite political spectrums, different ethnicities, of which for one reason or another. I'll actually, I, I would love to do like almost like a little mini study of asking people like, what are your core reasons? Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why that is, right? And even like when, even how we do the show, where we do courage or cringe, we may end up all in the same bucket of courage or cringe, but have all entirely right, different reasons to how we came yeah. up about it, right? Yeah. I, I, in my mind, I think one of the biggest ones that is there still, because I hear this a lot, and I hope that if it, if it does, like once it changes, that it will actually change perspective, is the fact that it's not fully approved by the FDA. And I think that is an issue that is either an excuse or right. a very commonly cited reason. So right. people are saying like, hey, like I'm, I'm not okay with it. Well, something getting emergency approval, approval and not getting full approval. Let's wait on that, and then we can talk about it. I actually right? didn't so, even mention that one because I think that's going to happen. So yeah, I, I don't I think, think it's, it's going to happen as well. Of course, but, but, that's uh, why, yeah. It'll be interesting, but uh, go, I guess just to speak specifically to this issue, I, I, I literally was struggling with this one because ever since we identified it and I was writing it up and thinking about it, and I've been going back and forth, I'm actually cringe on this one. And it's not because I don't agree with vaccines. It's not because I don't think everyone should get vaccinated. What I don't like about what New York City has done here is that I feel like they have passed the buck on businesses to have to enforce something that puts them in a really difficult situation. I have a really hard time of how they're going to enforce this. Yeah. Right. And you're talking about restaurants. They're going to have people, you know, making minimum wage, not trying to tell people they can walk in because they don't have a vaccination card. Like it just feels like it's the wrong tool for the job that you're trying to do. Yeah. Now, maybe part of it, if I want to get not say give credit, but maybe maybe what, what this is all about is simply about signaling and simply saying we're going to start putting these things to make it harder to your point to just make it more difficult to be a nuisance mm-hmm. to get a lot more people encouraged to get vaccinated. But no real intent of, of following through with some of these things right. in terms of like. Look, if you're a restaurant and you're just having a hard time doing it, like we're not, we're gonna leave it alone. We're not gonna find you. We're not gonna do other things. But we hope that by putting out these kind of messaging, that will just encourage more people to do it. I guess, but I just don't like the that the mechanism to enforce this. I think it's a really harsh one. I think it's very difficult for people already. I think these restaurants, many of which are still struggling now, yeah, yeah. or they're gonna stay open. Like I know a lot of a lot of folks that, that that run places and their costs have gone up. You have people that just by simply the you know the variant rising. You know, a lot of restaurants are having a lot, a lot, a lot less people showing up. Yeah. I've seen it in just places we go out to. Right. Like a lot, place, a lot less people. A lot more places are have a lot less people in them. So then you add this element to it. I just think it's a it's a really bad combination. So while I could appreciate the the interest to get more people vaccinated for all the reasons that I think I agree with most of them, I don't think this is the right tool. So when you ask the question, whether well, I see a difference between businesses. And cities, I, I see a massive difference. And especially when you're a city and you're telling other people they have to enforce it for you. It's one thing to say, hey, I'm going to send, <laughs> right. I'm going to send, I'm going to send like, 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 you know, the meter maids. Instead of giving people tickets, <laughs> right. they're going to go and they're going to basically do spot checks at restaurants. Yeah. I may say like, ah, that's really messed up. They're doing this. But at least you're putting the onus on a, on a city employee to have to try to navigate this and not yeah. on the restaurant. I, like, I, at least from that yeah. perspective, like, I just, I don't like that at all. I think it's really, yeah. I'm certain, though, that 
And who knows? I could be wrong. I mean, you know, these things it do happen. It does happen from time to time. <laughs> from time to time. Not often. Not often. But, you know, having, again, my intimate knowledge of the way that some of these policies and processes go down, um, it is very possible that they could have been like, eh, let's do it. And they didn't talk to a single soul, right? That's possible. Yeah. Um, but I, I would hope, and I, <laughs> and I think <laughs> that they probably, he did not create this. He did not come to this conclusion in a silo, right? He had to have had businesses giving their input saying you know and and advising them right there's already a movement for very large corporations as you guys already noted in one right. of your Mm-hmm. One of mm-hmm. your series that um, that large corporations are moving are moving towards that requirement. That was to that question earlier about you know can businesses are they the same um, as far as government actors? They derive their rights in very different ways, but ultimately they do have the right to require vaccinations I th- I think for different reasons. I think we have to have you back, Lucy, to have a deep dive conversation because I think that it's super interesting to talk about how state and private actors are increasingly merging and blending because I 100% agree with you on that. What that means, maybe we might disagree on, but I do see that. I see this this idea happening all around us and I think that it presents a lot of really interesting challenges and opportunities. Yeah. yeah so as far, that's why I land on courage because, you know, I, I agree with your reasons on why you land on cringe. Mm-hmm. In fact, I said that, right? That some of it is eh, kind of cringy. Um, however, that actually is the reason why I land on courage is because in order to do something that drastic, it's like the it's the saying, drastic times call for drastic measures. Right. And these are drastic times. And so therefore we need a drastic measure. And he is taking one. So yeah, is it is it perfect? Absolutely not. Not by any stretch of the imagination. However, I do think that oftentimes we have to move forward and we can't we cannot allow perfect to be the enemy of the good. Right. And I do think that that's the situation here. Now, is it is it going to create a lot of these situations that you talked about? Yes. And I do hope that there is like some way that we're, you know, they're thinking about addressing it. Mm-hmm. But but also I think it's courageous for that signaling that you mentioned. Yeah. Right. It's like Seattle with the $15 minimum wage. We just need one person to do it and everybody else is going to follow. And frankly, business is already being a leader in many ways. And ultimately, we are going to end up. I think in a mass vaccination required situation, and if you do not get it, then you will be um, barred from participating in in many of the things that we call American life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't disagree. That's where we're headed. I disagree that we should end up there. Well, um, I mean, and yeah. I will say that's already the situation for children. Well, they're considering it right now in LA as well. The same exact thing that de Blasio did in New York. There's a I'm measure sure, behind the yeah. LA city council. But right again, now. you know, no one, right. no one is, yes, there's, there's anti-vaxxers and, and people who are spreading misinformation, disinformation about vaccines. And, and they are choosing to not have their children vaccinated. That's, that's already happening. People do have that choice. However, those parents understand that they, that those kids cannot go to public school, that those kids cannot go to daycare, that those kids cannot do a bunch of stuff, right? And they've yeah. made that decision. And so are there, and then you end up with like measles, measles pods and chicken 
chicken pox outbreaks, you know? And you're just like, see, this is why we told you to get your freaking shots. Um, but, you know, I think that's going to be the situation with COVID, right? You're going to see these these little pods of people that refuse to get vaccinated and therefore just uh, completely withdraw from all these things that they cannot do. And then we end up seeing, like, these COVID outbreaks, you know, in various little hotspots. There's a, there's a book called The Benedict Option, which I'd recommend to both of you, which actually um, – takes that kind of principle about like, hey, well, if it's going to be the whole world against us, we'll just go and kind of hide and, you know, wait for the coming of the new whatever. Um, it's, I don't, I think it's an inadvisable philosophy, but, but, it, <laughs> but it is something that, or inadvisable, it is something that exists. And, you know, again, my, my, my point on this is just laying out principled reasons why mm-hmm. somebody can have, you know, an objection to it. And until I, you know, like that's, that's the part that I think is part of it. And it's just, the, the, you know, to me, kind of the, f- you know, free marketplace of ideas means you're going to run into people that have idiotic things to say. And if you don't, you know, then it's just, you're kind of not in the free marketplace of ideas. I see the similar and that's where I net out where I net out. But anyway. You know, one, uh, I just heard, a, we were talking about naming conventions for, for variants, right? And I heard a great one from uh, Jim Acosta, right? From CNN. Uh-huh. He was saying, you know, we have all these, you know, Republican governors who are doing everything they can to, like, go against the grain to, like, in some cases, like, Florida is a best example, right? He said, we should start naming the variants based on names of, of Republican governors, like, have a DeSantis variant. <laughs> and that, <laughs> that I thought to myself, true. like, if we were, if, if it was the opposite, if Trump was in office right now, and it was, like, literally, like, flipped the situation, and someone like Cuomo, let's say he wasn't having the, the issues, but... You know the the, the thorn in the side. The was sexual the one harassment that was, issues. Right, we can say what issues they are. Um, yes, sexual harassment issues. But if but you know Cuomo was the thorn in the side of Trump during the COVID thing, right? But let's say it was the opposite. What Trump was like, hey, we got to get everyone vaccinated, and Cuomo was like, no, we're not. We're not going to do masks or anything. He, Trump would call it the, the Cuomo variant. Oh, like, a thousand percent. And it I would mean, but work. he was really good at branding. Is, it would work. <laughs> it was a like that genius. myself is like Cuomo. Like I don't want to call this the Cuomo variant. <laughs> yeah. Like what the hell? Nobody wants. It to would to be work. Yeah. Like that's saying like you know for, we for need the, a little bit of the marketing right. kind of thought process. Yeah. You know. And, and for the record, if there was a vaccine to inoculate against Jim Acosta, I would be first in line. <laughs> All right, <laughs> let's. You, you want to have four reasons as to why? <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> we'll move on. Let's move on. I don't even know what to say to that. Olympic drama. Last topic: courage or cringe. Former Polish sprinter demands Christine Mamba uh, takes sex reaffirming test after her Olympic medal win. Right. Sounds like a like a good icebreaker. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like in yeah. well, cocktail, cocktail yeah. conversation. Exactly. As reported by the Grio, uh, Namibian sprinter Christine um, Mboa, Mboma, Mboma? Mboma. Yeah, Mboma. Yeah, Mboma. Uh, won the silver medal in the women's Olympics 200 meter race. Just for one month after learning, she could not compete in her signature 400-meter race due to her elevated testosterone levels, right? Uh, but, her, but her performance did not come without controversy as retired Polish male sprinter Marcin Urbus demanded Mboma take a sex-reaffirming test to confirm she definitely is a woman, right? He also added that Mboma's participation was a clear and insolent injustice against women who are definitely women. Now, in 2018, War Athletics introduced regulations banning athletes with elevated testosterone from specifically participating in women's races between 400 meters and 1600 meters, which is the reason why she wasn't allowed to play to race in the 400 and wasn't allowed to race in the 200. Uh, but these rules for women runners have been fiercely debated for years, as many have called out the Olympics for over-policing women, especially African women with differences of sexual development, or DSD. Uh, including XY chromosomes and elevated levels of testosterone, right? So you have athletes such as South Africa's Castor uh, Semenya, Kenya's Margaret Wamboi, uh, Burundi's Francine Nyonsaba, 
uh, in Namibia's Beatrice Masilingi and others have all been banned from competing in the Olympics, even do uh, events due to their DSD regulations, right? So Mboma, who's 18, has a condition called hyper... And this is like the tough, the tough one for me to be reading because this is uh, hyperandrogenism. Hypoandrogenism. Hyperandrogenism. 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 Yeah. There you go. That leads to hyperproduction of testosterone in her body, right? Mm-hmm. Now, Urbis, who retired... This is the, the male sprinter who retired in 2009. Uh, part of his issue with, with Mboma is that her personal records at age 18 are faster than what his were at the same age, right? Now, what some point uh, people find it hypocritical is that while these African women are being banned from competing, the, you know, because of their natural genetics, the genetic anomalies of other Olympians, such as 23-time gold medalist Michael Phelps, his 6'7 wingspan and double-jointed ankles are actually celebrated and treated as unique gifts, right? So that's the sort of double standard that people are calling out. So courage or courage, ex-athletes standing up for the rights of all women to fair competition or another attack on a black female athlete for being gifted and dominating her sport. Lucy <laughs> Flores, I'm close a, us out. I just want Jesus to repeat all the West African names one more time. Just, just one mean, more time. Just, well, they're not all West African. East we have, African? Yeah, Kenya as well as East, East Africa, African. East African, right? So that's right. That's combination. right. Combination. Uh, well, you left out, I think, I didn't hear you say one of the most damning quotes in there. Oh, which one? The one where the person said, um, I'm defending women who are actually women. Yeah, no, yeah, he said clear insulin injustice against women who are definitely women. Insolent injustice. Insolent like, injustice it, against women who, who are, are actually who are actually women. Women. This right. is this is one of those cases also where the guy uh, you can tell he kind of used Google Translate to put his tweet together. You know what I mean? Because insolent is such like a throwback, right. you know, 16th century word. Like when you offend the honor uh, of the queen, you insolent. Fool. You know, so it's interesting when I when I was reading this, I I, I thought the whole time that the 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 sprinter was female, right? I'm like, okay, it's someone that's I'm like, well, then that's something. Like, Wait, you're a dude, right? <laughs> like, Right. And he's like, like rethink the whole context of the story. Yeah. Are you assuming he's, his gender? He's crying uh, his bitter no, no, man not tears. It's just that was, that's what, it, I was what he is. He's, his, he's his, a guy. His bitter man tears. I can see them flowing. So, Lucy flowing Flores. Flowing the way he wishes his <laughs> testosterone oh, would what, flow. What's, apparently. The, what's the courage or so, cringe on? So the cur- <laughs> The courage or cringe is basically of this male Polish sprinter or former Polish sprinter demanding that, you know, this woman get a sex reaffirming test. Got it. Okay. After she won the silver medal. Got it. Okay. Lucy. Lucy Flores. Clearly, this is like double, triple. He gets the golden cringe. Nice. Gold medalist. Mm -hmm. Golden cringe. Cringe medalist. With his his male fragility mm. and his bitter tears. It's the third book by Robin D'Angelo coming up. Male fragility. Right. <laughs> I will read that. I can nice I can help her write it. I can help her write it. <laughs> I mean, look, the I think honestly the analysis for me comes from that one statement he made about mm-hmm. women being women, and that's what it is. It is this concept in people's minds that sex and gender are the same thing they're not. Sex is your sex that you're born with, the the mechanical parts that you have, and gender is the socially constructed roles that that we have made for people. And because first and foremost, these women don't necessarily and I do air quotes look like women, that's the first problem. The well, and that might be the second problem. The first problem is that they're black. Second problem is that they don't look like women 
what we consider women. And a third is that clearly he has not been able to even get past those ideas to then recognize that the point of athletic elitism is that people are made different, period. Those people are made different in all kinds of different ways. Some have long, longer muscles. Some have bigger wingspans. Some have more joints. Some have less joints. Some have elevated levels of whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Like men experience the exact same thing. And in fact, you all reference this in one of you, another one. Uh, clearly, I've listened to every single one of your podcasts because nice. I know them all. Um, but with Simone Biles in that she is being penalized because she's so Too good. good. Yeah. And so Stop it. Stop so it. <laughs> Stop right, being so good. Stop being so good. And so therefore, you know, the short dude who dunks gets less points than the tall dude who dunks because somehow... It's a direct he, Charlie quote, by the way. Well done. Correct. So somehow... I, I stand by that statement. Yeah. <laughs> so somehow... The this guy, we're going to say, well, you're genetically different. You have way, you got way too much um, Wheaties as a kid. So therefore you, you are banned because you have too much advantage. No, right? Like these women who by sex are women and also if they have chosen to identify as women by gender as well. And because this this conversation extends over into the tra into trans right. athletes, right? It's a it's a different little bit of a different conversation, but it's the same issue as far as the the way they measure um, certain hormones in your body and whether or not they determine if you can run in a particular class or, or a different class, right? And so, um, you know, it, I just think that there's just so much conscious and unconscious bias and by, bias and sexism going on in this particular statement and approach that that frankly like you know th this really just epitomizes what's wrong with this conversation of athleticism and how people mm. are judged differently because of their race and because of the physiological differences that they have that are and they're not held to the same standard they're not um, compared to the in the same way that white male athletes or even just male athletes in general mm -hmm. are are judged by. And, but but this whole conversation, obviously, look, a lot of we're talking about this specific guy, right? But but really, all of this is is to your point, which you already mentioned, is directly tied to the way that the Olympics is trying to figure out how to deal with transgender athletes, right? Like the whole thing about measuring people's testosterone levels. And to your point, even the way that you described it, the sport in some cases moving more toward gender-based rather than sex-based. Right. right. So, because I'm, I'm with everything you said, the part that I that I struggle with this topic, like, okay, but then how do you, how do you then do that, right? Because you have to, if you're if you're gonna say, hey, I'm gonna allow some athletes who are transgender to participate, who are going from male to female transgender, then I have to have some way to say, well, did you transition? with enough time so that you don't have these advantages that you would have by just being a natural male, then how do you do it, right? Without then impacting people who naturally, like in this case, right, people that have this, you know, DSD or this differences of sexual development where they naturally just come with higher testosterone and probably makes them better athletes, right? Right. And that's the part that I, I struggle and, with. And that. Like, like say, how do you, yeah, like, then, like, how do you say, do both things? And can I say, let's you know? not conflate the two, okay. right? Because in this situation, it's cringe because these women identify as women, as far yeah, as I know, sure. as far yeah, as yeah. I know, they identify as women. They sexually are women. Yep. So they're sex-based women. Every they're women. For so sure. like, shut the f up. Period. 
Right. <laughs> right? That's, yeah, and I'm with you. I, and uh, so to me, I it's think that total situation, cringe. yeah, that situation is, so let's, you know, that yeah, situation is yeah. different than the conversation then around trans athletes um, in that, that then the debate goes into, well, their sex wasn't male or, and or female. Now their sex is because they have changed it. Their identity also then comes into play, you know, because um, that might not that mm-hmm. de- that you know that then depends on what category they're in, and then there's these conversations about okay, how do we ensure that basically you know it's an apples to apples type of thing, sure. which you know is a little bit different, um, and we can certainly talk about, but it and it is related, but in terms of this one. It's very clear that they're being targeted because, one, they don't look, as I said, they don't appear to what culture accepts that women should look like, and two, because of their race. Where do you net out, Jesus? I'm, I'm cringe on it. I think it's a pretty straightforward cringe for me with this, like, this dude retired talking about this for once again. I think for a lot of reasons that, that Lucy said. Mm-hmm. Um, my sort of, yeah, the part where I struggle when I think about this is really more from the other, what I was starting to mention, which is... I don't know. I'm not sure how. Unfortunately, by this situation, just highlights what I think is going to happen more and more. Which is what's sad to me is that you're not going to have women having to go through these hurdles or having to prove their womanhood. Right. And that to me really sucks, right? Yeah. Because of of not having a situation where people are be like, if the second someone starts to dominate or is just better, you're like, well, how do I know that your own like your your testosterone level is just not a little bit higher than it would be otherwise? And therefore, now you no longer qualify, right? And I think that's the unfortunate situation that we're, that we're kind of putting ourselves in now, which is what I I, I don't know what the solve for it is. Um, and I don't know, not that I don't know what the solve for it. I don't know how you do both is, I guess, maybe the, maybe the, maybe my issue that I have is I don't know how you become sports that are much more open for even transgender athletes to be able to participate because then you have to have some kind of gauge to say, hey, how do I know? Because also, look, as a dad of a... A nine-year-old daughter, I could totally understand. You can't just say a kid from one day to the next, they're like, hey, you're not going to participate as, as a different gender. Yeah, it's, it'll be a difference because they're just, you know, kids are just different as they're growing up and, and as adults. So I, I understand that. But then by doing that, now you're going to be submitting women to situations where they're going to be even more analyzed, scrutinized. Right. And that saddens me. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So it may make you guys happy. It may not. By the way, first of all, congratulations for the longest episode of TDR on the history in the history of the world. <laughs> I think it's been a it's been, right. a three hour clip at this point. It's been a good conversation too. So I thank you in advance, <laughs> Lucy, for being here. Did you expect anything less when you invited <laughs> did, Lucy Flores? I, I did not. Um, I think we're going to end in a uh, in a rare, perhaps, uh, moment of agreement. Perhaps for different reasons. I'm moment, also moment of zen. I'm also a cringe on this one, but I'm a cringe because I don't believe that you should criticize publicly. I believe you should criticize privately or take up your issue privately and you know not try to tear people down in public or on Twitter or through Google Translate, however this guy did it. So I think the entire way that he went about doing it was very distasteful. distasteful. Having said that, I think the issue with this, and here I thank, and you know, Jesus, you've heard me say variations of this. Here I thank, you know, some of the philosophy classes that I had early on in my career, because I think, Lucy, your point is exactly right, that there are all these differences that exist, but I, I don't think that we scrutinize what differences mean. And there are differences in kind and difference in degree. An acorn and an oak tree are different in degree, but the same in kind. And so I think that ultimately looking at differences and saying just because something is different... Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. right? It doesn't mean that we can put them all in the same bucket. We have to look at what kind of differences we're actually talking about. The right. argument about Phelps being, well, he's six foot seven and he's got this huge wingspan. Yes, but he's still a man, right? What now has been called biological male, but whatever. He's a man, and so comparing him with someone different than him in kind is not the is not the not a difference that's meaningful in terms of these kind of discussions. So ultimately, for me, it's like we have to tease out the differences between things that are different in degree, like you know, and then different in their essence and what they actually well, are. Charlie, yeah. on that point, yeah. Michael Phelps. The comparison is more to say that Michael Phelps' biology makes him different from most men. His double jointed, his actual wingspan is six seven, which is significantly longer for his size. Mm-hmm. That allows him to just swim faster. So he Correct. has, and that, there will but, be. But, those but, in it that same but it's group. not a comparison of like you're a man versus a woman. It's simply saying that he has right. biologically differences in him as an individual to make him really unique. Correct, but he's but better he's, than most men to be able to swim for a Sure, sport. but he's competing with others in his kind, in his not just in he's competing with other people in his group based on his kind who may have other advantages that he doesn't have. Right. In other words, sure. they're still they're still members of a kind, members of a group, right? right. Um, so anyway, my point is about that. I think we need to recover some of the, that sense of what differences are and what they actually mean and really study them and scrutinize them. You can still land in the same spot. You can still say, hey, based on understanding that. I totally get it, and I still feel this way. Totally fine. But I find oftentimes this idea of, well, you know, let's look at how different these things are, but really not scrutinizing the kind of difference that we're actually talking about, right? Acorn and oak tree or acorn and bicycle. Those are very different things. They're, they're both different, but one is different in degree and one is different in kind. Right. And I don't think that we scrutinize that much anymore. So anyway, ultimately, right. I'm a cringe, and that's kind of where I net, I net out on this one. So we can all hug yeah. it out. Yeah. We came to a... <laughs> Lucy, how do, agreement. how do people follow your work? How do people keep in touch with you? Like, what do you want folks to know? Um, well, they can visit loosecollective.com. That's where you will find all of our riveting content on uh, lat- all things Latinas and Latinx and Latino. Um, you can visit us on social media, at Loose Collective on Insta, Loose Collective everywhere else. And for me, I'm I am also at lucyflores.com, but don't go there. <laughs> it's not that interesting. <laughs> Instead, follow me on IG. It's Lucy Flores. N is in Nancy, V is in Victor for my home state of Nevada. Lucy awesome. Flores NB. And if all that if all that fails, uh, LucyforGovernor.com. No, is that, no, no, no. That where we go? Lucy for Lucy for MediaMogul.com. Uh, go there. Oh, I like it. I like it. <laughs> all right. Jesus, any parting words or parting shots? Uh, no, no parting shots. I'm good. This was this was a lot of fun. Thank you, Lucy. We Lucy, thank it. you for ha- seriously. Welcome. Thank you for coming. It was this really, was really awesome. Great I hope to have I'm you invited on. back. You will be. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, congrats on all the good work at Loose Collective. Thank you. Uh, everybody, please check out loosecollective.com and check out Lucy on Instagram and Twitter and other places. Remember to subscribe to this show. Share this show with your friends. Go to Patreon.com/backslash/TheDiversityRemix and support our work. Lots of fun shows coming up. Right, Jesus? We got some fun shows coming up. We do. We're about and to hit our, our 52nd episode. It's almost our it's year anniversary. Year. It's yeah, a special so anniversary we're, celebration we're, show. There'll be a lot of drinking. Close. There'll be a lot of uh, who knows what'll happen. Va- Maybe vaccinations some, required. There'll be vaccinations <laughs> required for everyone, forcefully uh, administered. If, by right. Lucy, actually. Yes. By Lucy. Well, she'll come I in like to forcefully that. administer I your vaccine. I learned it on the YouTube. All right. So that's us. We'll see you again next time on another episode of TDR. If you enjoyed this episode of the Diversity Remix, please remember, first of all, to subscribe and help us to spread the word. Tell your friends, family, coworkers, and give us a five-star review. 
We're available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your listening fix. And lastly, please remember to stop by blackbrown.us, the creator of this podcast, and take a look at our work and our approach at the intersection of diversity and business. The Diversity Remix is produced by Leo Gomez with production services by Jose Manuel Durquidi and Luis Diego Carranza and our friends at Juan Diego Network. The Diversity Remix is a production of Black Brown. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.